Good day, y'all. It's Dave from the Big Red F Restaurant Group, based out of my hometown of Boulder, Colorado. Thanks for tuning in to the F Club Podcast, where we sit and have interesting conversations with all kinds of interesting folks doing all kinds of interesting things. Today, I'm talking to my friend Juan Padro. Juan has been a Denver, I wouldn't say upstart, I wouldn't say fixture, but once he got started here in Denver, he crushed it. His group, Culinary Creative, runs Bardo, Senor Bear, Morin, Ashkara. He's got partnerships with a lot of really, really talented chefs. He's got the Highland Tappan Burger. He's involved in many consulting projects. Just bought two locations of Aviano Coffee in Cherry Creek, running a restaurant down in New Orleans called Sophia. Very tough to come into New Orleans as an outsider and make any traction. And they came in and made huge traction further testament to he and his group's restaurant smarts and intelligence. Today we're talking about Imagine That COVID and restaurant operations during the COVID era. We are talking about working with ex-spouses, talking about restaurant operations and all kinds of interesting things with Juan Padro. I first met Juan at Lola. We used to kick him out You know, if he was in here four days a week, we'd have to ask him to leave once, never twice, but once, once a week, once every other week, just for general debauchery and tomfoolery. I'm of course kidding, but he helped us out in the early days when we were first getting Lola open as a really loyal guest coming in and enjoying what we were doing. And that's how we all got to know him. So here's my conversation with Juan and I hope you enjoy. We are here at Lola, first week of January, second week of January, in our post-pandemic era of craziness, sitting here with my friend Juan Pedro. Juan has launched many, many great restaurants in the last 10 years in Denver, and his group is responsible for a lot of great things that are happening and a lot of forward thinking, and we're going to have a conversation about a couple of relative things that we're both dealing with. So thanks for jumping in, Juan. I'm glad to be here. Super excited. So your group sprung into action last March when everything shut down. You and I were talking on the phone. I think we all experienced the same, what the fuck? Like, what's next? How are we going to pivot out of this thing? I kind of want to ask you what you did and what you didn't do and the reason maybe you didn't do it, what maybe you tried that failed. Talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you faced with your group. And I know you guys were banging a lot of food out of Morin. And how'd you do it? Yeah. So a couple questions there. So I guess I'll start with, you know, kind of how we handled this stuff from the get-go. I felt like we were pretty prepared for this, which is probably not a common answer, but, you know, I've had some experience in, in disaster recovery and and I have a very simple way of, of, of looking at this. And, and that really comes down to what people need. They need water, they need light, they need a roof over their head and they need food. So that was what our number one priority was. And, you know, we had a meeting set up prior to the mayor making the announcement that we were shutting down in March. We were already meeting at noon that, that Monday. So, you know, we just had to 
change a few different things with the conversations that we were having because we were closing. But, you know, generally speaking, we knew this was a serious thing. And, and you know, we listened to the smart guys, the scientists, and, and we wanted to figure out, you know, as a group, how we could best support our people. So what we did was we met with all our ownership and management. You know, I let them know that in situations like this, there's certain things to listen to and certain things not to listen to. You know, listen to science, understand the severity of the situation, be practical with your decisions, understand where to buy food and understand that, you know, as a leader that you're going to be responsible for for a lot of people's well-being throughout this situation. And this is how we're going to handle it. So what we did was we consolidated Bardo and Ashkara because they both use wood-fired ovens. We consolidated Tappenberger and Senor Bear and Mr. Rosso. Uh, we closed Marin, Bellevue, Mr. Rosso. We, we had a central command, which was Sloan's Tappenberger. And we were going to feed, you know, it's one of the four tenants. We were going to feed our staff, you know, every day. They could call in and, and come on in and pick food up for not only themselves, but whoever they lived with, whether it was family or, you know, a lot of these kids have roommates and things like that. So America is a little bit different. You know, I mean, most parts of the world, you know, people they don't always have light and they don't always have water, clean water and those things. We have those things, you know, they were basically saying, go home and watch Netflix. But, you know, food was going to be a problem. I don't, you know, if you remember stuff getting pulled off the shelves from toilet paper to meat and they were rationing things in the stores. So, you know, we, we certainly made the recommendation that you shop at Asian and, and Latin stores. Don't shop at the white stores because there's not going to be anything there. We don't have the same empathy as most other cultures. Sure. Um, so, you know, we sent our kids to, to different grocery stores where people take a roll of toilet paper when they need it. So we didn't have any problems there. And then, and then you know, the biggest thing that I saw after Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico was a crushing mental health crisis that occurred after that. And, and it didn't manifest for sometimes 18 months, you know, the two years, but we wanted to get way out ahead of that. So we set up a tree so that every Every 48 hours, every kid that worked for us was touched by phone. Our operations people kind of set that up, and we had this whole system of checks and balances. That um, how long that did you did keep that going through the shutdown? Yeah, yeah, the first shutdown. So yeah, in Marin, we had an opportunity to do the CRR. Zach Newmeyer from Sage and Adam Schlegel called up and said, "Hey, what do you think of this?" And I said, "We'd love to do it." And you know, got Jen on board and Alex Seidel on board, and you know, throughout the shutdown and through the summer, did you know, close to 400,000 meals for the community. And we did that. We did all that stuff out of Marin. Marin, we felt like, you know, we have a big production kitchen down there. We can get a lot of food out in an efficient manner. And, and we partnered with Frontline Foods, which was acquired by the World Central Kitchen. And, you know, like a lot of other restaurateurs, just we're trying to help as, as, as best we could and, and keep people employed as much as possible. And I think that was one, one big thing, too, with our group was, you know, I think our philosophy was as much as we can keep people working, we were going to do that. So we got the PPP super early and we just brought everybody back. And what we did was we restructured our entire company. So, you know, we sat down with everybody and, you know, if you were really good at social media, you were getting paid for social media. If you were a good photographer, we needed a bunch of photography, you were going to do photography. We had, we literally hired somebody whose only job was COVID research and being up to date on everything and being the resource for the company. We had a couple of kids that were in school that were programmers and stuff like that. We upgraded our websites. We did all that kind of stuff. We had murals done on our buildings with artists that worked for us or their roommates or whatever. We paid them to do that. So we used our PPP a little bit different than just you know, hey, you're a bartender. I'm going to pay you. I need to get it forgiven so you can sit at home for 20 hours a week. We felt like mental health wise, we wanted people as active as possible because the shit was going to get really, really, really negative quickly. So that's kind of how we we handled that piece of it. We went from like $450,000 a week in sales to 27, I think was our first week back open, which was, you know, 
that sucks. And, but, you know, we built it up. And by the last week of the shutdown, I think we were doing 180 grand a week in sales. And everybody was really focused and excited. And they learned a bunch of stuff. And we put a culinary innovation team together. We put, did the same thing for the bar program. And we had people working on new stuff. And we just created books. And we implemented Trainual. Uh, so, so we had a whole education system that we implemented with it. We uploaded all kinds of, like, you know, documents and, and materials and articles and things like that and got kids engaged in learning and, and, and things like that. So, you know, anything to keep them occupied, busy, working, productive, and that would help the business moving forward. So, yeah. yeah. Anything that you tried that you're like, yeah, let's pull the plug on this. It's not going to, it's not going to fly. Not with that particular uh, portion of it. We eventually had to pull the plug on. Uh, we did a pop-up at Bardot called Jabroni and Sons, and it was wildly successful. Ah, I had was, one uh, of those. They're, they're good, they're right? Really yeah. good, yeah. And, you know, we have a kid, AJ, who's from Philly and worked for Vetri out in Philly. And, you know, he's just, he always wanted this is his dream. Yeah. And yeah, so, we, you know, we made the bread and we were doing that all out of the Bardot kitchen. So that when we reopened, you know, I'm looking at Bardo's menu and I called Russell Stippich, the chef, and I said, hey, man, look, there's like eight things on this menu. Let's get real. Right. And he's like, I, he's like, I can't I can't put any more on the menu. I can't prep. I'm like, what are you talking about? You can't prep. He's like, well, Jabroni has to prep. I have to prep. And so we Bardo kind of lost its identity. And Bardo had a really hard time in the shutdown. It was our it was you know, went from our best performing restaurant to our worst performing restaurant, came out of it. And for the first few months in the summer was our worst performing restaurant. We were worried about it. So we decided to pull the plug on Jabroni and, and just to get back, you know, get our identity back with Bardo. Why do you think that is? Italian's pretty pandemic friendly. It's it's easy in, easy out. You got a good. Yeah, that that our Italian food there is a little bit different. It's not, you know, it's not Italian American, which travels well, you know, chicken parm. And, and so we have a separate to go menu where you can get chicken parm, eggplant parm, spaghetti and meatballs, things like that. Mm-hmm. That travels great across the city. Right. You know, when you have cream curdling and like, you know, you have smaller pasta courses and things like that, you yeah. know, you get home and you just pay 20 bucks and you're looking at a container with, you know, six tortelloni and you're like, oh, I just got ripped off. You yeah. Jack's Jack suffers that same yeah, so challenge. You know, so we had to really rethink, you know, that particular business. And, you know, we challenged those guys hard. And that kid, Russell, is a heck of a chef and he's super prideful and competitive. He's a hockey player and he took it personally and he did a great job. And, you know, December this year, we were up year over year <laughs> in the greenhouses. Yeah. So yeah, we're doing we were only open five days a week. You know, doing ten grand a day in greenhouse sales, thirty-eight seats. So, mm-hmm. you know, he came up with this incredible program. So November we did Florence, same menu. December, we did Rome, no, Piedmont. So regional. Yeah, it was all regional. We just went into the Amalfi Coast yesterday for mid-January to mid-February. You know, New Year's Eve, we had 416 people on the wait list to get into those greenhouses. Wow. Which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, So he's, you know, he's a great story. Super, like, inspirational story. I I, I wish people would talk to him about his, I mean, he did a great thing. Yeah. Everything's open. Is Morin open? No. Morin, we did a series of pop-ups in December. We still do a ton of nonprofit work out of there. We partnered with a cannabis company that donates $10,000 a week in in frontline meals. So we're executing all that out of. Yeah, we're with them too. It's yeah. awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. great. Yeah, 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 that's right. You guys did amazing. It yeah. They've been great supporters of ours. I know they're good supporters of yours yeah, as well. Yeah. And that's been pretty incredible to see how that, that industry really is, I thought, stepped up quite a bit for restaurants. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So talking about Bardo kind of struggling, going from first to worst, that's our situation at Jackson Lodo. So that was our pound for pound, heavyweight, dollar per square foot, just crushing and growing and getting bigger and bigger every year. 
and then really took a hit hard. Right. Like we're open at Jack's Lodo, but oh. there's nobody down there. That's and right. in talking to Beth from Rioja Group and, and some other folks down there, I know Sage is, is struggling with some of their downtown properties. What do you see happening downtown in general? Yeah, I don't like downtown for 2021 at all. We, we had an investor call yesterday and we were talking about reopening Marin in the in the beginning of the summer and, and figuring out, you know, what, what the menu would look like. Cause we'll reconcept a little bit, you know, to get a little bit more nostalgic and comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't think people are super excited about a, uh, you know, gastronomy experience. I think they're more excited about just going to getting out and right. hanging out with friends and keeping it uh, simple comfort. Yeah. But without the Pepsi center being open, that side of Lodo, you know, just really doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Coors Field, well, the Coors theater. Field, I think is, you know, so I was with one of the coaches of the Rockies yesterday, and this blows my mind, and I don't know if it's true, but I can't imagine he would lie to me. They had their coaches meeting, and Monfort told them that Coors Field will be at 100% for fans in July. Hmm. That would be a game changer for a place like Jack's and yeah. those places downtown because yeah. that's a lot of people. And look, I understand that they're going to be able to have fans because they're outside. And, you know, there will be a lot of vaccinations out at that point in time. I mean, I, you know, we're not going to have any kind of herd immunity in 2021. Right. To be real, right? You know, I'm not planning for that. But, you know, so we'll open anywhere between midsummer and next year down there. You know, we're fortunate we do own that building. So, yeah. So. Unless you want to buy it. Yeah, no, I'm good. How do you think that Colorado has handled this whole process through Polis's office and locally more through Hancock's actions? Yeah, what's your been, what's your take? Yeah, it's been different. You know, I've had a lot more contact with Governor Polis than I have with the local government. I've been on a few calls here and there, but like I said, I, I typically try to avoid that stuff as much as possible. And uh, Jared, I talk to you two or three times a week. You know, I don't always agree with with his decisions, but, you know, his intentions are great. And he's got, you know, people pulling him in a lot of different directions. And, you know, he's got to listen to people. Yeah, he does. And he returns calls and he returns texts and he returns emails. And that's what you want in somebody that's a leader, if you ask me. Right. You know, the city level to me has been pretty disorganized. You know, the way where our government works in Colorado is that, you know, the governor you know, puts a policy in place and then it rolls down and the municipality can either follow it or not, you know, and they can adjust it and they can make it more strict or less strict or, or whatever it is. And, and, uh, or the County, I don't think that Denver, you know, with the problems that it had over the summer really was progressive in thought at all. I thought they, they kind of, it was very reactionary and I'll give you a couple examples of that. When you shut down restaurants like we did and you have, workers that are vulnerable and in particular we're a sanctuary city right and we beat our chest we we, we have a high moral moral high ground and we say you know we're not going to close borders and we're not going to deport people you know colorado is different right and then you shut restaurants down that have people that are here because of that Mm -hmm. and they have no federal aid they get no unemployment right you know don't know how to navigate the system it's very challenging it's very intimidating i mean they don't even I mean, they can't, there's no system. Right. Right. So, you know, there was no plan for that. You caused a homelessness problem. You caused a huge, you know, economic problem for poor disadvantaged communities. The lines to get food are huge. And you have restaurants that are shut down with skilled chefs that can feed these people. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you didn't allow for SNAP funds to be used to feed the community that's paid for by the Fed blows my mind. There was no plan for that. There's no plan for, you know, re-employing 10 to 15 back of the house people 
in restaurants like Lola and Marin and stuff like that to feed the community. I mean, we can pump out a thousand meals a day. You know, if you if you get the top 10 restaurant groups that can that, that have the, the skill set to do that. I mean, you're talking 10 to 15,000 meals a day a you day. can put out yeah. a day. Yeah. What the fuck were you thinking? Yeah. And where were you? Because it, when I, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, water, light, food, a roof over your head. Right. That's all they should have been thinking about. How do we take care of our people? And the people that vote that actually voted them in, I'm a, I'm a, you know, my parents were political activists. I, I grew up as a Northeast liberal and I still consider, consider myself liberal. I have a hard time thinking I'm going to vote for a Democrat in Colorado the way they've handled this. It's a really, really, really difficult pill to swallow. And nobody in my family's ever cast a, a, a Republican vote. And Even with Polis, though, you said you got good, good vibes with Polis. I do have good vibes. I do think Jared's done a good job. So, yeah, I stand corrected on that. Yeah, but, it'll go back and but, forth. But yeah. what the city council is, you know, how they've, how, how they've handled themselves. There's some good people on city council, and I don't want to criticize them as human beings. I just think that, you know, when you're so agenda-driven and you're not willing to listen to all members of society, then you're not doing the best job you can possibly do, mm-hmm. you know, and you're taking the easy way out. An example is what's going on right now with the five-star program. City council has blocked any use of public funds to roll out the five-star program because they need to hire a third-party certifi- certification right, company. Right. So now you have to go out and you have to raise two hundred and fifty to 500000 bucks. Ask for volunteers from the restaurant community yeah. to come and start acting as these inspectors. Like, we're going to end up carrying the load. And it is a chance for the, for the health department, the city, to set a higher standard. You can get a thousand. There's a thousand planes flying out of airports every day with 350 people packed shoulder to shoulder. Home Depot, Target, all the big grocery stores, all the box stores packed and restaurants are closed. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, I'm, I'm a little bit in this same conversation with the Boulder city council. There's a ton of people working for the cities, for the city of Denver and for the city of Boulder that are working their asses off. Tons. And then the council who manages all those funds and all that activity, I just feel like they've really, they've been awfully quiet. You know? Yeah, in Denver, I don't know if they've been quiet. They just haven't been interested in helping businesses. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and I vote on social causes, but this business is a social cause right now because it's people's livelihoods. Yeah. And it also speaks to the safety of the communities as well. You know, if you have desperate people who have no money, you know, who are going to get evicted from their homes, what do you think is going to happen? You know? Our crime, our crime incident. Like our walk-in, outdoor walk-ins are getting broken into. Twice at Mr. Oso in the last three weeks. Yeah. yeah. We got a smoker in Boulder behind the West End that we have we have spent so much time trying to fortify this thing. And they just figure out a different way. And they're just rocking brisket yeah. and ribs at three right. in the morning and <laughs> having a party, man. I, I just wish they'd call me and, and ask me to join them. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's not go down that city tunnel because I think you and I both feel the same way and we could say things maybe we'll regret switching gears working with spouses is hard yep dana and i are in it you know neck deep every day side by side working with ex-spouses um (laughs) my former my former lovely ex-spouse mother of my children she's a partner in all the restaurants okay i did not know that very removed you know it's not an active role but we started this together and she was a chef we met at the culinary institute and in the early days, we were we were in it to win mm-hmm. it, and it's hard. 
but I don't have to work with her anymore. Yeah. But you're now working with your ex-spouse. Right. How the fuck does that work? Well, a lot of people have wanted to ask that question and I think they're just scared to. So I, <laughs> it's interesting. Well, I'm go. surprised that I'm not surprised that you asked this because um, I know you're not scared. Um, you know, Katie and I, you know, our marriage didn't end for lack of love, first and, first and foremost, you right. know what I'm saying? So it, it was it was one of those situations where, you know, we got, we came out here, we changed our lives up. She was an investment banker and then a teacher and I was in consulting and, you know, I did executive search prior and none of us, we're not restaurant people, we weren't restaurant people. And so that was a big change coming out to Colorado and, you know, we kind of went through our, our ups and downs with the transition and, you know, not having family support and those types of things that we had always, you know, had around us. At one point in time, as we began to grow our company, started kind of growing in different directions. And she's largely the reason for our success. I mean, you know, she's super smart and, you know, she does, she does all the math in the company and, and she's, you know, her ethics are through the roof and uh, she's a tremendous person. It's anybody I respect more than Katie. So I think the respect is a huge part of it. You know, as we, as we were growing apart, you know, I, I'm not going to speak for her. I can, I can speak for myself. So I already interviewed yeah. her earlier. So oh, okay. we got, got yeah, it. we're going to put these side by side. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I, in, in my mind, she deserves the best version of whoever she's going to be with. And that was not me at the time. So, but you know, the reason why we were able to continue to work together is, is largely when we separated, as you know, when you go through a separation, there's no easy way of doing that. A lot of people is like, Oh, I want to get rid of this person or that person. They get divorced. They think it's going to be the greatest thing of all time. And, and it's hard. That's a really hard thing to do. Oh yeah. You didn't have kids, no kids. So that, yeah. that was one thing that was good. Yeah, Although, We had three. So there was yeah. no, you know, you can separate all you want, but you're not getting, yeah. You're talking every day. You know, as we began to kind of rebuild who we were as individuals and stuff like that, you know, you kind of build that foundation, you know, like laying bricks, you know, and, uh, and she, you know, she stuck by my side even when we were separated, laid those bricks and, you know, I wouldn't be who I am today without her. So that's for sure. So going off of that a little bit, she's an investment banker. She uh -huh. has a passion for math. She goes back and starts teaching high school math. Yeah. And you had a bachelor's in um, history, history <laughs> and creative writing. <laughs> yeah. And where'd you go to school? UMass. Back East. Yeah. UMass. Yeah. You're living back East. Uh -huh. You get to Denver somehow. And then as smart as you both are, you want to go into the restaurant business. <laughs> how does that, how does that, and I mean, it makes good sense because yeah. a lot of the best chefs and a lot of the smartest restaurant people, this wasn't their first, this wasn't their journey. It wasn't that, it wasn't, it wasn't what they started out doing. How did you circle back and, and then launch into it? I got a call from a buddy of mine who, who lived out here and him and his, his partners wanted to open up a bar. They owned a place downtown, which was kind of like club called Spill down there. Mm -hmm. You know, whenever I came to town, I'd hang out there because, you know, it's it where free booze. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah, free booze was part of it. I'm sure. Yeah. They asked for a certain amount of money. We gave it to him. We said, yeah, we'll do that. You know, Katie and I actually were going to move to Puerto Rico. We we're going to move to Rincon. That was kind of what our dream was. And, and, you know, she didn't want to move to the Midwest. She thought it was too cold. She didn't want to not be by an ocean. And I understood that. But we came out, her birthday's January 30th. And we came out over her birthday for her first time ever in Colorado. It was like one of those weeks where it was like 70 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, is it really like this? And I'm like, yeah, it's like this, you know? And she's like, okay. She goes, I could probably think about moving this way. But we're looking at the project that we're doing and we're, we're like, how, the, how, how do you think these guys are going to get this thing open with the amount of money we gave them? <laughs> and, you know, like I said, she's good with the math. And so we sat, we, we all sat down together and they were like, yeah, we were going to talk to you about that. We're definitely underfunded. <laughs> so we were either going to lose our money, which at the time was a lot of money to us and move down to Puerto Rico. Or we were going to double down and 
we decided to double down. But if we were going to do that, we were going to be involved and we we're going to move out here. So uh, her sister and mom lived in Portland, Oregon, and her dad's in Scottsdale. How'd they get to Portland? Her sister and brother went to University of Oregon. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, and her brother is a uh, two-time Grammy nominated reggae artist. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So they headline Red Rocks quite a bit. We've got and two kids in Oregon. I love Oregon. Yeah, I do too. I That's lived awesome. in Portland. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I lived in Hood River and Portland. Yeah. So it wasn't like that huge of a leap to get closer to family and things like that. And so we came out here and opened up TAP and two years later did Old Major with Justin. And, and that was a partnership that dissolved two years afterwards. And then in the middle of that dissolving period, we were still there and it was a nonprofit event going on and Max was cooking in the kitchen and he had left Squeaky Bean. and Wicked talent. Yeah, wicked talent. Yeah. Like wicked talent. Yeah. And Max and I always bonded over the Red Sox, both Red Sox fans. And we just started talking and, and just saying, hey man, you know, I miss Italian food from the East Coast. And we just happened to have this little space next to Highland Tap that was a bodega that was there. And the guy, it was owned by a family trust. And that year, they had, I think there was a bunch of hail and rain and it kept flooding. And he was just pulling his hair out. He's driving up from like Castle Rock to fix it. And he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just going to sell it. And he gave, you know, basically sold it to us. Mm-hmm. So we got together with Max and we opened up Bardo. And did you get a chance to meet Kurt Huffman when you were in Portland, Chef's Table? Because your model's very similar to his, where they partner with chefs and your stuff with Justin and with Max and that stuff. He's got 14 or 15 restaurants and different chef partners in each restaurant. What are some of his restaurants? Ox and... Oh, um, yeah. I've met him. Yeah. Yeah, I went out with Alex Seidel and Asher and Schlegel. We we did a a trip to... I was supposed to be on that trip with you guys, and I didn't. And so I introduced you guys to Kurt and told you to look him up. He's a fucking smart guy, man. Yeah. Yeah. Those are cool places. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I was out, I actually... Gruner and he's I got actually a bunch worked at my first restaurant jobs out there. I worked for Chevy's Mexican Restaurant. And I worked for a place called Gustav's, which was... Uh, there was a Rhinelander. It was like a German, uh-huh. you know, a couple German restaurants. Yeah. and uh, Great restaurants uh, in Portland. Yeah. There's good restaurants yeah. there for sure. Yeah. And, uh, but this was in the... I, I lived there in the mid-90s. It was yeah. different. It was like, it wasn't hipster. It was hippie. Yeah. So tell us about this testing platform. How and why and what you wasn't getting done, so you did it yourself. Yeah, so uh, governor called me up and he goes, he's like, Juan Pedro, I need something. I'm like, what? He goes, I need you to work with the CRA. I have these rapid tests and the logistics are a nightmare to get them out, but we think it could be a good strategy to get restaurants open and safe and have testing. And I said, I think I agree with that. If you have enough rapid tests and we're testing on a weekly basis, and I cited a you know Boston College you know tests weekly and, and they had such a low uh, transmittal rate uh, at a college, you know, and I was like, hey, this is what's going on. And we were talking about that. So I called Sonia up and Sonia was like, yeah, definitely. You know, we're have, we've had some of these conversations with the governor's office and let's try to all get on a call. And we couldn't even get on a call. We couldn't get everybody together. Lawyers were saying this and politicians were saying this and Sonia's pulling her hair out. And I'm just looking at this. This is why I don't sit on committees. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, this is bullshit. So I just went and opened it to prove that you could open it and it wouldn't be a problem. Uh, Did you partner with a medical group? I did. I partnered with R2 Medical, which is Dr. Eric Nacken. He's a guy that comes into our restaurants a lot and he's a really good dude. And and with Nurture, which is a well care facility, because I didn't just want to open a testing center. I felt like, you know, I talked to uh, Kelly and Nikki and Peter who own Nurture and I said, you know, 
the biggest issue we have is that we're a super unhealthy country. You know, nobody's talking about that, you know, and nobody's talking about boosting immune systems and stuff like that. So can we put like an immunity package together? Can we do this at, here at, you know, at your facility where we can expose people to really life-changing behaviors. So we kind of package that piece with the testing center and uh, everybody just wants to talk about the COVID testing center, but it's really more than that. You know, it's really about like people like getting familiar with what's going on at, at a place that I think is really special and nurture and, and, and getting healthy and, and changing their eating habits and their lifestyle habits a little bit. And Drinking habits. Yeah. I mean, I'm not telling you not to go out and pound a bunch of tequilas and have fun with your friends, but I am telling you that, you know, the way, what you put in your body is is important, Mm -hmm. you know, and it it affects your immune system. And look, COVID, this stuff's not going away, man. You know, I mean, this is it. Have you had it? Forever. No. So Dana and I both had it in March and they had a 60 minute special about four or five weeks ago about the long haulers, Uh the the ongoing effects. Yeah. And it's definitely, I can feel it in my body. Yeah. You know, I've been active and on the bike a lot and and getting after it, but I can definitely feel it as, as can Dana. It's affecting us differently different sort of symptoms, but in some folks, it's dramatic, you know, it's yeah. keeping them in bed all day long and yeah. just real sort of chronic fatigue level exhaustion. I don't know what the, you know, what the heck is going on. You know, it's, it, it's, it's an invisible enemy. You yeah. know, there's no real, you know, we can sit, the science keeps changing, right? Everybody's like science, science, science on it. And I think you listen to the scientists because they're a lot smarter than you are. But the reality is at the end of the day, it does, we don't really know no. a whole lot about it. No. But the rest of the world has been dealing with pandemics for forever. You know, we're just no good at it. So let's switch gears again. We, about seven years ago, thought it'd be really smart to go to Kansas City and open a restaurant. So now we got to get on a plane to go walk the dining room and yeah. work in the kitchen and just all the things that come with running a restaurant outside of your comfort zone. How's it going for you? You opened the spot in New Orleans, yeah, my Sophia. favorite town in America. <laughs> Love New Orleans. Yeah, it's Got married down there the first time and lived down there for a while. You know, I didn't know you had such a tie to that. I, I think my, my first wife, Amy, was born in Baton Rouge. Oh, okay. Dana, who yeah. you know, was born in Crowley. Donald Link played football against Dana's dad, like all this, her whole huge tribe of, of like serious Cajun, Cajun. Last couple of years. Oh yeah. Down there. A yeah. lot. Yeah. I love it. We go down to, you know, I'm not a big Mardi Gras fan, but jazz fest is awesome. Is right? awesome. So That's good. the greatest social music event. I think. You in, could make in an America. argument that that city, when we come back, when we get out of this situation, is the most important city to get up in, Absolutely. in America. It's all, it always America. is. It always is. Yeah. The yep. most cultural, the most dripping wet, soulful city in America. That's right. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. So how's it going? You know, New Orleans got hit pretty hard. Louisiana is a much different political situation than we have here. It's even worse. New Orleans, of course, is, is very blue and the mayor just shut it down and the rest of the state is very red and they mm-hmm. said, screw it, no mask, no anything like that. Right. So while New Orleans is shut down, everything else is open 100%. So people are flocking out of New Orleans, going to the bars till four, five, six in the morning and Metairie and those places and then coming back to New Orleans. So Metairie is wide open. Well, so it was. And then in October, the restaurants in New Orleans basically just said, screw it, we're opening. So they had to, they, and they basically forced the government's hand. And so they opened at 25% and they opened the bars till 11. So that went through December and they were under 5%. That's kind of their metric there. Mm-hmm. So they've been able to stay open. I think they're still, I think they're shutting the bars down again right around now. But, but what happened was the state just didn't get a lot of funding from the Fed. They had to start laying off police. 
And so there was nobody policing the streets. Yeah, so not a town. You do not want solid police presence in. That's right. And yeah. the other issue that was happening was, right, you know, club owners and restaurateurs were just like, screw it, we're opening. There's nobody policing this shit. Right. You know? And they had no budget in the city and anything like that. So they were kind of, they were kind of forced to do that. So, you know, we've been open at 25% down there. And but we're one of the few restaurants that stayed open. Not a lot of them stayed open. You know, I know Link closed a couple of his. Mm-hmm. And I think Pesh stayed open. And, but there weren't that many restaurants. Emerald closed all his, you know. But, you know, we have an operating partner down there that is probably the most similar person to me that I've ever met. And that, Holy shit. Yeah, so, <laughs> well, he's far more interesting. His, his father is William Blatt. His father wrote The Exorcist. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. He's, he's a really interesting guy. And his parents were really good friends with Sophia Loren. And that's why the name it's Sophia. Name Sophia yeah. yeah. So it was lots of tabloid stuff back in the you know, back in the day with them. So yeah. uh, it was all kinds of interesting stories. And we got really cool artwork in there in that spot. And, and I would never open a restaurant in New Orleans just because it's so steeped in in it, who it is and what it is. Yeah. And I give you guys mad props because you got great, like you won some good awards in your first year. Yeah, we swept Restaurant of the Year in yeah. a publication. Yeah. yeah, and that's not an easy thing to do in a town like New Orleans. And they're a little bit hesitant for the, you know, the outsider. The, they were very hesitant the gringo us, coming but in. Billy, Billy was a big key for that. You yeah. Know, having him down there and him being a local. and Because we sent kids from Denver the chef and the GM are from Denver. And they're, mm-hmm. they're a couple, by the way. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, she's Italian and, you know, she's done a nice job down there. And But, you know, as you know, Donald opened an Italian restaurant a block over. Like Gianna. the same, like right. within months. Within of, months yeah. with a James Baird Award winning Italian chef. Right. And uh, Rebecca. Yeah. And uh, who's great. And they're great, you know, and it's a great place. And I've been there a number of times. Um, we got, I got a lot of calls from other people that I've met in the restaurant world saying that they were, A, really surprised and, no offense, we were really surprised you guys won restaurant of the year. But that, you know, Donald's, you know, he's the dude down there. Let's oh, be real, yeah. right? The I mean, Don. Yeah, he's literally. So, you know, to have that happen was pretty awesome. And we don't have PR or anything like that. Yeah. He's a good dude, too. Yeah. Now, we have sat right here at this table and had. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Had, I, you know, I've never personally met him. Oh, I do know he goes in to the restaurant. Oh, which he's is cool. in there like crazy, man. Yeah. 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 So, well, he comes in our, our spot, too, you know, yeah. which is which I really appreciate. And, and I, you know, I go to all his places. I think they're all. I, or, you know, Herb Saint's probably my favorite of all yeah. the spots and so good. And, yeah. You know, I've had some really great dishes there. And Yeah. Susan Spicer has been really nice to me and introduced me to a lot of those yeah. folks. She's His operations guy, Sal, has become a friend of mine. Sal had stayed the night at my house before. Oh, yeah. That guy, man. Yeah. Because he spent, his girlfriend was running Softa. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. And then he comes up. I, I love him. He's a great, you know. He's a great guy. And yeah. He's he's kind of an institution down there too yeah. in his own right. Because he started at Emeralds as a, you know, working That's working right. as a valet. That's right. Parking cars. Yeah. And just said, hey, what's next? And worked yeah. his way up. Yeah. We were talking to him. You know, I just couldn't afford him. We were talking, yeah. <laughs> we were talking to him. We wanted him to be the guy. But, you know, we had a good team from down here to, to go down there. And, and a lot of our kids go back and forth. Uh-huh. You know? And it's yeah. been a really cool cultural exchange. Yeah. And, Sending um, people to New Orleans is never a bad thing. <laughs> I mean. It's costly. Well, it's it's costly it's costly to you know when the kids get a little wrapped up in the nightlife yeah. <laughs> it can be a bad thing yeah because <laughs> you know going from Denver's nightlife which really doesn't exist to New Orleans which is like right up there with Off the nightlife the in the entire world yeah 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 we've had some Jack's Chef adventures down there over the years yeah super fun it's been fun you know with all the f- fresh seafood and, and and things like that down there and 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 you know our style of Italian food at Bardot is is 
you know, nobody else does that down there. So mm-hmm. it's very different. And that was the thing, you know, were, were people going to accept it or not? But it is a little spicy. So people like that piece yeah. of it. And we do an unbelievable amount of business with young women down there. Like an, it's, it's probably 75%. Huh. Yeah. And, you know, so it's like a kind of young female stylish party spot is what it's because so it's a little different than the neighborhood joint here. But uh, even the, the gals that go to Tulane and Loyola, the college kids come down and big groups and they rip it up there. They There's just it. a different mentality down there. You know, you just it's 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 awesome. It is it's awesome. really awesome. It is so cool. I wish yeah. we had the. I wish we had some music up here too. I mean, the yeah. music down. I mean, we have Red Rock, so it's like you know. But it's different amazing, kind of. You it's have a different you thing. have fifty venues down there on a Tuesday night that you can go see live music. I had a restaurant thirty plus years ago in Gold Hill called the Lick Skillet Cafe. Okay. And Chaz was the mayor of Gold Hill. Chaz now plays at the Spotted Cat Friday nights every night on Frenchman Street. At 6.30, and he's washboard Chaz is his, I think he's literally like Pasta J changed his name to Pasta J. I think Chaz's name is actually, his first name is now washboard. <laughs> and it's just awesome. And his son, Josh, used to wash dishes, and now he's working at Emeralds and doing the whole restaurant thing down there. Yeah, it's, it's, New Orleans is awesome. Well, cool, man. Well, thanks for spending the time. Really appreciate your voice through this whole thing. We, I've been on some calls with you throughout this chaos, especially in the early days. And it's nice listening to smart people talk. And you have been certainly headfirst in a lot of the things you're doing. And it's been great. So thanks for everything. Yeah, and likewise. Your, your I mean, you guys crew. do a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. You know, it's been super impactful. And like I said, I told you on the text string we were talking, I learned how to do this stuff from you guys. Well, here, so. whatever. I think you yeah, came in the good. door with it. Yeah. So... All right, brother. Thanks, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yep. Yep. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Juan. Always really uh, fun talking to smart people, hands on a lot of different things. Great energy. Dude is, is Mr. Half Full all the time. Mr. Full Full all the time. Really has a lot of really smart thinking and a great group of culinary folks he's working with. They all got their head down doing smart work, really impressed and loved to hear all the things that he was doing for his crew, his family, his restaurants, his organization during the COVID, coming out of it. And his energy is quite contagious. So I really appreciate him coming. Special thanks to Stanton Sutton for all of his editing and taking out all the ums and ahs, his original music that he edits to these podcasts. And we look forward to getting with you all again soon. Be safe out there. Take good care of yourself.